Hello and welcome to Cannabis Grand Rounds, a production by physicians with advanced degrees in cannabis medicine. Your hosts, Dr. Lee Van Oker, Dr. Les Matthews, and Dr. Hal Altman, will offer unbiased medical cannabis education for healthcare providers and the motivated public. Our content is selected with the objective to fully explore cannabis as science and medicine and pledges to reflect current cannabis knowledge with no hidden agenda nor sponsorships. Hello and welcome to Cannabis Grand Rounds, a podcast for healthcare professionals by healthcare professionals. I have my friend, colleague, and partner in crime with me, uh, Dr. Les Matthews. I'm Dr. Lee Van Oker, and we're here to talk about all things cannabis. So how are you doing, Les? I'm doing great, Lee. Thank you and appreciate the opportunity to speak to you today. I thought today that we should talk about some of the negative effects of medical cannabis and cannabis in general. You know, I am a bit of a healthy skeptic when it comes to medical cannabis. I don't see it as the panacea for everything. But again, that's like any type of medicine. There are risks and benefits to any medicine. So let's dive in here, Les, and talk about cannabis toxicity, but I say that with a grain of salt, quotes over toxicity, because comparing it to some of the other drugs, illicit drugs, and even regular drugs, the toxicity is maybe not quite as bad. But what about, let's say, what do animal studies kind of tell us about the toxicity of cannabis, Les? Well, I think it's a great place to start because, uh, Due to the limitations in human research on cannabis, due to all the regulatory issues that we've discussed, uh, we have to draw many conclusions from animal studies that have been done. And I think if if I were to summarize it briefly, I, I think it's fair to say that those studies indicate that cannabis is not a drug or a drug class that carries with it a high risk of toxicity. In animal studies, the term LD50 is used, which basically expresses a, a quantification of how much drug is necessary to cause death in at least 50% of the test subjects. And in laboratory animals, it's humongous. I mean, they've tested uh, mice with up to 500 milligrams per kilogram of THC and not seen lethal consequences. Uh, and that would be the equivalent of bringing a truckload of cannabis for a human. There are a number of reasons for this. I think it's, it's most important to recognize that cannabis does not cause respiratory depression. So all of the issues that we see with the opioid crisis and deaths and respiratory failure associated with that and the use of Narcan as an antidote because it reverses the respiratory depression, none of those issues exist with cannabis. And I think that's one of the main reasons, certainly not the only reason, but the main reason that cannabis does not have the lethal toxicity associated with it that opioids do. Yeah, it's a good point. And it's because of this area in the brain stem, which is interesting. So there's CB1 receptors all over the brain, but there's a paucity of these receptors in the brain stem. And it's an area actually called the pre-Botzinger complex. And that's the area that causes depression 
because of the opioid receptors in that area of the brain stem and medulla. So I think that's uh, pretty encouraging. But with that said, there's still the potential for overdose with cannabis. And uh, let's talk a little bit about what are some of the symptoms that we see when there's been an overdose of cannabis in humans. Well, it's it's um, it varies, and I think the first the first distinction that we need to bring into focus is that symptoms associated with cannabis overdose differ significantly in adults rather than children. We're going to devote some future podcasts to pediatric considerations in general, but for the purpose of this discussion, I think it's it's noteworthy that as we talk about toxicity in kids. It usually happens from children gaining access to cannabis unintentionally. The adult in the home has recreational cannabis or medicinal cannabis and doesn't secure it properly. And a child sees a gummy or sees something that looks uh, appealing and ingests it and then gets an overdose. But for adults, um, it simply comes from ingesting uh, in whatever form uh, too much cannabis too quickly and the side effects are generally you know, psychological. So, so we're talking about possibility of anxiety, sometimes seizures, sometimes convulsions, paranoia, you know, a, a constellation of, of psychological uh, effects of toxicity. Now, there's really not a cannabis antidote. There are some that have been tested in the laboratory with some successes, I understand it, but there is not a, uh, a Narcan equivalent for cannabis. So when someone is diagnosed with cannabis toxicity, again, usually due to overdose, the treatment is more supportive. It's uh, hydration, a calm environment, uh, you know, blood pressure monitoring, vital sign monitoring, and very rarely use of drugs like anxiolytics or hypnotics, but usually not necessary. Yeah, that's true. And, and some of the physical symptoms, I mean, seizures are very, very rare and usually don't happen. Um, but the tachycardia, hypertension, and then of course, the confusion and loss of muscle control, ataxia, all the things that uh, cannabis causes. And paranoia is actually a big one. And that's why I think people come to the emergency room, but you're right, just reassuring them, a calm environment. When we talk about kids, uh, we'll talk, they have a little bit different in their constellation. But, you know, adults can overdose. Most commonly, we see it with uh, oral agents because once the oral agents are ingested, they actually create a metabolite or a chemical compound that more readily crosses the blood-brain barrier. It has higher potency and longer-lasting psychoactive effects. So that's how adults can accidentally <laughs> ingest an overdose. And they don't wait long enough. You know, we all know it takes so long for oral ingestion to take effect over an hour. And we talked about it in the pharmacology podcast that They'll have one gummy and, and not feeling anything, only wait 15, 20 minutes, take another, another, and then it, it hits them later. Let's talk a little bit also about uh, some concerns with even over-the-counter CBD. I know the FDA talks about worrying about uh, liver 
issues with CBD because CBD, especially oral preparations, are go through first pass of the liver and can affect the um, cytochrome P450. But what are their toxicities related to CBD? Well, it's, it's a good question. CBD certainly does not have a very uh, worrisome toxicity profile overall. And most of the, again, laboratory animal studies have not shown a propensity for toxicity to CBD. As you mentioned, there are some rare reports of liver side effects or complications. I think the point about CBD that needs to be made is that while CBD became legal in the 2018 Farm Bill, it is still not regulated. So uh, there have been numerous assay studies done where you go to the local drugstore or gas station or 7-Eleven or whatever, and you get a CBD compound off the shelf. And what is suggested on the label to be the chemical makeup when tested is oftentimes not true and very different. So it's buyer beware in terms of purchasing CBD and expecting the labeling to be accurate. That's a good point. I mean, there was a JAMA study that was out that said almost 66% of over-the-counter CBD products either didn't have any CBD in it or had too much CBD or had something in it other than CBD. So I think it's very important that if you're going to purchase CBD, you know, from companies, you need to make sure that there's a um, certificate of analysis that in fact proves that it has what it says it has in it, the CBD, and also um, that it doesn't have, you know, any of the contaminants like mold, bacteria, and other things which are important. And what about pulmonary? You know, it's, it's funny, and we can talk about this before the scourge of the pandemic. The big news in the ER were cases of uh, young uh adults and people showing up into the ER with uh, pulmonary injury. Uh, we can talk about it in a bit. Evali was the name of it. And what are the potential pulmonary complications that you can see with cannabis? And it's most likely smoked uh, or vaped cannabis. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I think the, the risk of pulmonary complications from ingested cannabis are almost non-existent. And um, what I found fascinating was that the studies that have been done looking at relatively frequent users of inhaled cannabis do not show some of the same risks that are associated with cigarette smoking. So the incidence of uh, COPD and restrictive pulmonary disease and even lung cancer are not at all in the same category with cannabis that it is with smoking tobacco. Now, there are, there are some uh, reports of increased, uh, you know, sputum production, coughing, things of that nature, but not the, the more structural, long-term concerning pulmonary complications that uh, are, again, associated with smoking tobacco products. Now, Evali is a very interesting um, and unique situation relative to pulmonary toxicity. Evali is an acronym that stands for Electronic uh, Vaping Associated Lung Injury, and it was kind of appearing out of nowhere with, with young, healthy people coming into the emergency rooms with whited out lungs and pulmonary edema and, and you know, very challenging pulmonary disease. And I think that it's fair to say that the code has been broken and the most significant risk factor for a volley is use of vaping products 
that have been manufactured with vitamin E acetate. And vitamin E acetate is kind of a cheap way of, of cutting the cannabis or, or making a little bit go a longer way, but it has a uh, toxicity in the lung that has the potential to lead to this Evoli-type um, syndrome. And uh, again, this was usually cheaper products obtained from less than reputable sources uh, that was the source of this vitamin E acetate contamination. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, when this was happening in the ERs, and it really kind of hit the scene in uh, August uh, 2019, well before <laughs> we were inundated with uh, the COVID virus, it, it was it was creating a specific uh, histopathological finding of um, fat in the lungs, and and it was. I spoke with our. Um, Maryland um, Medical Cannabis Commission, the head of it. And there were no cases reported in Maryland with our registered medical users. So these cases that were showing up in the ER, at least in, in Maryland, were cases that were illicit cannabis. They were sometimes mixed with tobacco. And even though vitamin E acetate is an FDA-approved excipient for food products and stuff, it, it never uh, has been approved, and the toxicity was inhaling a fatty substance into your lung, it creating like a lipoid type of pneumonia. So it, it was good, um, even though it's an approved FDA product, to mix with different compounds. It's really meant for oral compounds, and I think... Um, that was the issue. You know, you're inhaling something that's a, a, a lipid uh, that was never intended to be inhaled. So um, anyway, that's been very interesting. And it's also been an issue that I, I think our listeners should be aware of in terms of the uh, construct of the actual vaping device, the cheap, inexpensive, again, over the counter ones you get at the gas station may have metallic electrodes that form the heating element that turn the vape uh, or produce the vapor that you inhale. And those can also have byproducts through the heating process of, of metal, allergens, and so on. So the better vaping devices are ceramic and do not offer that same level of risk. And, and people should be aware of that distinction. Yeah, that's a very good point. So, and, and most of the products that are sold legally medically are, are tested for some of these things and tested for heavy metals per se. So even the devices are tested for heavy metals and leaching and things like that. So it's a very good point. So anyway, I think this will conclude that section. One, one last comment before we end this section would be to just throw in the issue of cardiovascular risk because there is a higher risk of toxicity or side effects in patients with significant histories of cardiovascular disease who then consume cannabis. If any of our listeners are in a situation to evaluate a patient for medical cannabis who has a history of corresponding cardiovascular disease, uh, one needs to be particularly aware of the risks and maybe try to uh, steer that person away from cannabis because of those risks. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to touch a little bit more on that when we talk about uh, special populations and the risk to those special populations and the elderly is certainly um, part of that. But anyway, thanks, Les. And this will conclude uh, our podcast on the general uh, toxicity in quotes 
of cannabis. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate it. All information, material, and content on this podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional and or medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment by a qualified physician or healthcare provider. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. Cannabis Grand Rounds LLC does not offer personal health or medical advice. If you have a medical emergency, call your doctor or call 911 immediately.